to the word of the Lord, to the book of James. Would you join me by opening up your Bibles, your pew Bibles, to the book of James? This summer, we are going through James as our summer series, so we're going to continue where we left off last week. This week, up, this week we pick up with James 3, starting in verse 13, going through verse 18. <clears throat> As you find your place, would you pray with me? God of Jesus Christ, give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Help us to know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work in us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Are you wise? A truly wise person would probably remain silent, so good for you. Many of us would like to answer yes. We like the idea of being wise, but it would seem awkward, perhaps, to claim that we are. It's much easier to talk about someone else being wise rather than referencing ourselves as wise. This morning, we'll listen for James' commentary on heavenly wisdom and reflect a bit on what it looks like, where it comes from, and the importance of practicing it in community. So hear the word of the Lord from James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, In your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If someone asked you to define wisdom, what would you say? You might say it's an intellectual discipline that can be quantifiably measured by the number of degrees one has or years of life experience or how many big words make it into the conversation. You might define wisdom as something that lives in your brain or something that's acquired over time. That's not what wisdom is here. Wisdom is what we do, how we show up, not just what we know or how much we know, or how we came to know what we know, though all of that matters. Wisdom in our text this morning is measured by action. Who is wise and understanding among you, James asks. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, in the humility that comes from wisdom. Earthly wisdom here, earthly wisdom, is wrongdoing that's been dressed up 
as wisdom. To put it another way, when we believe we're being wise or we act like we're being wise, but really we're being bitter or selfish or what have you, James says, don't boast about that or pretend like it's coming from a wise place. That's going to cause all sorts of chaos and confusion for other believers and for those watching. Heavenly wisdom, however, is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Where earthly wisdom produces disorder, heavenly wisdom reaps a harvest of righteousness. Earlier in the letter, James uses the metaphor of looking into a mirror, going away from the mirror, and forgetting what you look like. That's not wisdom. Wisdom means looking into the mirror, putting it down, and remembering your reflection. Wisdom means, as we know from the second chapter of James, not showing favoritism, being mindful of who we offer the best seat in the house to. Wisdom means that we let mercy triumph over judgment. Wisdom means more than just having faith, just having some convictions or some theology or some scripture. Even the demons have that. James says. Wisdom inspires us to do, not just to know, not just to believe. And as we learned last week, wisdom means paying attention to the things we say. We can't praise our Lord and Father with our tongues and then curse human beings with the same tongue, those made in God's image. That's not heavenly wisdom. James doesn't teach any new theology in his writings, but he writes really passionately, and he's very inspired by Jesus' teaching, particularly the Sermon on the Mount and the book of Proverbs, especially Proverbs 1 through 9. James is sometimes referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament because of texts like ours this morning that specifically address wisdom and the letter's general emphasis on wise living. We already encountered wisdom by name in the first chapter, When James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Wisdom has old roots in Scripture. Remember with me that Proverbs from the Old Testament begins with a father talking to his son, pleading with him to pursue wisdom wisdom. In Proverbs, wisdom is a deeply convicted woman who is inspired by justice, goodness, and faithfulness because she fears the Lord. She says this in Proverbs 8, I, wisdom, I fear the Lord and hate evil. I hate pride and ignorance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. I walk in the ways of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me. But wisdom is older than Proverbs, so old, in fact, that she predates the creation of the world. Wisdom says this about herself, again, from Proverbs 8. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago, before the beginning, when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. 
When there were no springs overflowing with water, I was there. I was there when he set the heavens in place. There I was constantly at God's side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in humanity. The word for wisdom in Hebrew is this, chokhmah. It's a good throat clearer if you have a sore throat. Chokhmah. You can say it. Chokhmah. Chokhmah. Chokhmah guides people in how they should live, affecting everything they do. It's an attribute of God used by God to create the world. It's the fabric woven into all things, influencing how they work. Whenever people make good, just, or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokhmah. Whenever people make bad decisions, they're working against chokhmah. Sure, if something is wise or unwise, Lady Chokhmah is there, calling out, making herself available to anyone who is willing to listen and learn. That's why James says, if you lack wisdom, just go and ask, because he believes she's there to help and answer our questions. In Proverbs and in James, anyone can access and interact with wisdom to make a beautiful life for themselves and for others. Like God used wisdom to create in the beginning, we too can use wisdom to participate in something abundant and good. The word chokhmah also means skill. So wisdom is something we get better at over time, something we practice like an artisan who excels at their craft. You show that you possess chokhmah when you put it to work, when you develop the skill of making a good life. And this all starts, of course, with the fear of the Lord, a healthy respect for God's boundaries and not crossing them. All of these beautiful images that you see on the screen are actually available on YouTube through something called the Bible Project. You can see that a little bit from the Bible Project. It's a nonprofit that creates videos and other resources that walk through the narrative of the Bible, book by book, theme by theme. I bring it up because they have a wisdom series playlist that outlines Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. So if you're hearing our text this morning and you're curious about what these books in the Old Testament say about wisdom, especially when bad things happen to wise people, or bad people get rewarded for unwise decisions, that's the place I would encourage you to go, to the Bible Project on the YouTube. Okay? So wisdom, chokhmah, is who God is. It's what God used to create the world. It's how we're invited to respond. It's what we use to build a life that honors God. For James, it's essential, non-negotiable, and absolutely beautiful. In his description of heavenly wisdom in verse 17, perhaps you heard echoes of the Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached that the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, and those who are persecuted because of righteousness have unique access to the kingdom of heaven. So James takes this teaching... He takes his understanding of chokhmah, and he says, peace-loving, 
considerate, submissive, merciful, impartial, and sincere people show skills and wisdom. People who build up the poor in spirit care for those who mourn and are pure in heart. These people have received God's heavenly gift of wisdom. Let's be people who put things, these things into practice. That is a piece of what wisdom, chokhmah, looks like. We learned last week that James tells us to take things on, like taming our tongues, but he doesn't tell us how to do that. There's not a 10 steps to taming your tongue workshop or recommended breathing exercises when you're tempted to fly off the handle. And that's true in our wisdom text as well. James doesn't give us specific instructions about how to live into heaven's wisdom. It could have the wonderful qualities listed in verse 17, and there's more, There's definitely stuff missing from that list. But there's still a lot that perhaps feels unclear because wisdom has close ties with morality, judgment, insight, experience, discernment. This is where I think James invites us to take a breath and remember verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The purpose of wisdom is not to tell others how to live their lives. It's living a truly good life yourself. Nothing is more fundamental to that life than meekness or humility. Real wisdom will always make a person humble. Of course, we can't help but wonder, though, what does the good life look like, this mark of heaven's wisdom? James seems to suggest that even Christians have a hard time identifying the good life or what is needed to attain the good life. That's why he asks, who among you? Who among you? It's interesting to note here that the Greek word that James uses for good, the good life, is not a word that is seeking to define goodness in opposition to badness. It's not seeking to define goodness in opposition to badness, but rather this word is used to marvel at the beauty and the diversity of goodness. In other words, James is not asking, what is the good life? But rather, James is asking, is there wholesome, fruitful, helpful goodness in your life that's resulting from a pursuit of heavenly wisdom? James isn't looking for a specific type of goodness, but for goodness, for all kinds of humble deeds done in wisdom's humility. Perhaps you notice there's nothing about the Ten Commandments here. In these verses about wisdom, James does not talk about adultery or theft or idolatry or disrespecting one's parents. And in the Ten Commandments or in the lots of laws that expound upon them, you won't find a command to be gentle or to be open to reason or to be careful not to jump to conclusions or to be slow to speak. Surely there's no opposition between the law of God and true wisdom, but they do address different aspects of our lives different measures or levels or dimensions of our goodness or righteousness or our responsibility to glorify God with our lives. And we need it all. We need the Ten Commandments. We need Proverbs. We need James. 
as I encountered this text this week, I was struck by the fact that heavenly wisdom, heavenly wisdom must be learned and practiced in community. That makes so much sense to me. Because how can I be considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, sincere, or peace-loving without y'all, you all? How can I learn to tame my tongue without someone to speak with? How can my faith come alive through deeds if I have no people to practice with? How can I persevere when I face trials of many kinds without my brothers and sisters reminding me of what's true? How can I know I'm being double-minded or acting in pride or speaking out of anger without God's people there to call me out and bring me back to chokhmah? This is an old idea from Proverbs. Proverbs encourages us to pursue wisdom together. I read Proverbs again in preparation for this text, and these three verses jumped out at me. Walk with the wise and become wise. Plans are established by seeking advice. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I'm going to turn up the heat for a moment, which is our church's learning change or Ritter language, meaning I'm going to ask us some questions, even though it might stir up feelings of anxiety, guilt, or shame in some of you, but the questions are still really worth asking, and you get to consider the answers in the privacy of your own mind. So I'll ask these questions of you. How are you pursuing heavenly wisdom? Where are you using earthly wisdom? Who in your life do you sharpen iron with? Do you have people in your life who shove the mirror in your face when you forget what you look like? The message translation of James 3, 17 and 18 puts it this way. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life that, and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other treating each other with dignity and honor. I'm sure James, who was a pastor, I'm sure James pastored believers who said, oh Jesus, James's brother, oh Jesus, how I love you, how I long to serve you. And then these believers immediately went back to their foolishness, looking into Hochmah mirror, putting it down, forgetting I bet James saw how deeply the people needed each other in their pursuit of heavenly wisdom. I'll bet James's church was full of hypocritical people with relationship problems. In fact, he calls them out in his letter. There's people with destructive expressions of anger, people who use hostile speech, people who show favoritism to richer members of the church at the expense of the poor, there's pride, we'll encounter pride, that leads to selfishness and conflict 
There's hypercriticism, extortion, and fraud in business practices in the people of God. Our church is full of hypocrites too, right? Please say yes, because I am a hypocrite. (laughs) We are full of hypocrites. We can't do this alone. We need each other. We forget our reflection. We walk away. We don't want to do the work sometimes because it's hard work. We don't want to do something differently because we're comfortable. We don't want to see something from another person's perspective because we don't want to be wrong or we don't want to give up center stage. We don't want to question our motives because we don't really want to change our course of action. We don't want to open ourselves up to others because we're afraid of being judged or rejected. I see this over and over and over again in my family, in my friends, here at church, in myself. If you're wondering if I'm subtly plugging life groups, the answer is yes. (laughs) But I didn't want this sermon, or I didn't write this sermon just to sell you something, so hear me out. I'm your pastor of discipleship and youth. Logistically, that means I oversee the programming and ministries here for children, youth, and adults because those things matter and doing them well matters. I love those things. I hope you know that. We've got incredible volunteers and ministry teams working hard to make all of that happen. I love children in worship, kids' quest. Y'all will love the crossing, Sunday school, riot, RCYF, life groups. I want all of you to be part of all of that. But adaptively, the big picture purpose of my job, of my life, is to be curious about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to become more like Jesus in what we think, say, desire, and do. It's my job to teach you that it's not just about a program, but about a process, a journey of spiritual growth. I'm becoming increasingly convinced That discipleship is an invitation to deep transformation, a partnership with Hochmah and with one another to build peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, good lives that actually dare to believe Jesus called us to something abundant. If you want to sow peace and reap righteousness, you can't be the only laborer in the field. You need each other. We need each other. I want to enter into that journey with you, to have courage to pursue heavenly wisdom, to have the humility to admit that I don't have all the answers, to name that there's pain and joy in peace sowing. Some of you have given your word to pursuing heavenly wisdom, and you have a community committed to that as well. Some of you are part of a community that is committed to do this work, but you're still sorting through whether or not you're on board. Some of you have a deep desire to see Hochmah have her way in you, but you're searching for people to do that with. No matter where you're at this morning, I want to invite you to close your eyes. I can see your eyes. I invite you to close your eyes. And allow the Spirit to enter in and to be curious about where your heart is at today. Notice what got stirred up in you in this morning's service. 
Wonder if God is trying to get your attention. Remember that you're known and loved by God, and because that's true, it's okay to be honest. No one can hear your thoughts, so it's okay to get specific. Take a moment, make space for God. Holy God, your word says that where two or more are gathered, you are there. So we recognize that you are present in this space. Perhaps this is the first moment today that we've recognized you're in the room. God, thanks for your grace when we forget. God, we ask that our ears would be tuned in this week to Lady Hochma's call that we would have courage to pursue her, even if all the clarity we want isn't in place yet. We pray for stamina and joy in building good lives that honor and glorify you. We pray for people to help us in that work. God, we pray for boldness to ask for what we need whether it's desire, consistency, or relationships, so we can truly live into the abundance you've already given us. God, all these things, all these things, we entrust to you. It's in your, your holy name we pray.